Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, September 18th. City Council held a special meeting over the weekend to pass recommendations regarding the city's housing strategy. We discuss what came out of the meeting with Ward 1 City Councilor Sonia Sharp. Continuing our conversation surrounding the city's housing strategy, we talk about the plan with Chaz Smith, President, CEO and founder of Be The Change YYC. Chaz explains why he believes the new strategy could make Calgary a trailblazer in the fight to end homelessness. It's one of the most popular drugs in the world, Ozempic, the diabetes treatment that is being used by millions for weight loss. But what do we know about the potential long-term health consequences of being on the drug? We discuss with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. 705 now and housing or the lack of it continues to be a major issue across the country and here in Calgary for sure. City Council held a special meeting on the weekend to talk about the city's housing strategy and joining us to talk about it and break down what was passed is Ward 1 Councillor Sonia Sharp. Good morning Sonia, thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So can you talk about so why the special meeting on the weekend, sort of what the goal and, and plan was? So we spent um, three days discussing housing. The special meeting was to really get things, um, you know, kind of, let's get housing going. We have to act. Um, so we knew that meeting would take a couple days just to hear everybody. And the mayor had called a special meeting um, to officially uh, approve the housing strategy. So that happened late in the day on Saturday. Um, but we did get through it. And... Um, 33 recommendations were passed with some amendments. We had 19 amendments, actually, that we went through. I had two of them. And um, today I'm going to sit down and go through everything and update my website. Um, it was it was a deeply moving couple of days, and I can tell you it was difficult. Yeah, I bet. Uh, Councillor Sharp, uh, it was a lot of public feedback, you know, going into the meeting. And how did that feedback influence the final strategy? And what were some of the common concerns that were raised that you were hearing? Obviously, we, we heard from so many people, 160 people, um, so many stories. Um, feedback going into the strategy um, was, you know, we need to act. We need to do something. Um, we need to, uh, we heard the word bold a lot. And, you know, I'll, I'll say one thing is, yes, we need to be bold, but we need to actually do something that's purposeful. Um, so we had to make sure that we are making decisions that actually not just you know, what were we going to do on Sunday when we woke up? But, you know, what's the long-term vision? Um, you know, we did make some bold moves. We, we did make some purposeful moves. Um, the mayor brought an amendment to uh, put one emergency shelter together uh, for the city. And, you know, I asked as a friendly, can we add a second? Um, because these are things that we need to do now. Now, some of the things that we saw in the strategy aren't going to happen right away. Um, and uh, one of those happens to be the, the, con- the convert- I would say, controversial conversation around blanket rezoning. Um, and so, you know, that's still something that isn't going to happen if it does happen for another eight to 10 months. That has to go through another set of public hearing conversations. Um, the $10,000 per incentive program for secondary suites, that has to get passed at budget in November. So there's still lots of things that need to be caught, like, you know, like we have to have a conversation around. Um, and so, and some of these things are going to be talked about in silo to the to housing strategy. And one of them happens to be blanket rezoning, um, which, you know, won't have a conversation until probably early next year. 
So an emergency shelter, perhaps two. Can you tell mm-hmm. us um, sort of, you know, what other immediate strategies that council decided on and has implemented? What's going to happen? I mean, I know there are a lot of things and we all know it, nothing can happen mm-hmm. super fast. There's, it's just the way of the world, right? A lot of red tape. But when you talk about the things that can happen the quickest beyond a, a shelter, what else was there? Well, obviously the advocation pieces to the federal, like the provincial and federal government, um, like around rent control, like those are things that are kind of out of our purview, but we needed to make sure that we're sending the message up to the other levels of government. Um, We're supporting non-market housing. Um, That will directly help people who badly need the help. Um, We're using city land to increase our housing supply. um, So that's important. Uh, We'll support organizations delivering housing in the city. Uh, We'll support housing for equity deserving groups and we'll speed up our process you know, as much as we can to get housing built faster. That's outside the blanket rezoning. I think administration really understood is, you know, what do you have, what tools do you have in your toolbox right now to get shovels in the ground? Um, and there's always opportunity to cut red tape at City Hall, and it's the will to do it. Speaking with Ward 1 Councillor Sonia Sharp, and uh, Sonia, you say as, as quickly as we can, but uh, like literally, what will the next steps be? Are we going to have some follow-up meetings? Uh, what mm-hmm. tangible will Calgarians see in the next uh, few days or if not weeks? Well, and that's the, that's the conversation that we had is that, you know, what is going to happen in the next few weeks? Those, those, two, those two parcels for emergency housing program for family will happen. Um, now, we have to think about this package and what has to go to budget. Um, there are a lot of things in here that actually need budget approval. The housing strategy needs budget approval. That conversation doesn't happen until the end of November. Um, and, you know, what sort of tax implications does this mean for Calgarians? You don't want to, you know, have a conversation around housing, and uh, which is, you know, talking about the fact that there's an affordability crisis in Calgary, and then tax the average Calgarian on making this happen. So we need to have some robust conversations and what can we do by keeping our costs down? The other thing, a part of this is the accountability measure. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, what how many houses are going to be built? And we heard a speculation of 1,500 homes in 24 months. That's a speculation. Um, So those are long-term. Short-term, we've got to get this package. We have to communicate the package to Calgarians, and we have to tell Calgarians what still needs to go to budget. And one of those things happens to be the secondary suite initiative. And it was important to pass this, wasn't it, in terms of getting, you know, provincial and, and, and more beyond funding. But the provincial funding was, you know, based on whether this went ahead or not, wasn't it, the strategy? Um, no, that's the federal. Federal, um, okay, my bad. Yeah, federal funding. And, you know, I have a little bit of mixed feelings about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the reason I have mixed feelings about that in general is the federal government feels is the best way to solve the housing crisis to, you know, dangle a letter in front of council and withhold Calgarians' federal tax money for housing that people need badly over zoning changes. That was, to me, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought it was completely inappropriate. I actually posed a question to the mayor um, in chamber saying, you know, one of the, one of the, I would say one of the points in the letter was, you know, you have to pass bank blanket rezoning or like, and I, my question to her was, that's a 10 month timeline. So is the money going to be contingent on us passing this bylaw? And so, you know, I just thought it was inappropriate. I'll be completely honest and, and, I'll, and I'll have that conversation with anybody because if we want to talk about housing affordability in crisis, um, we can talk about the, like the federal government's poor fiscal policy, policies that led us here. And the fact that, you know, 
all of a sudden the increase in inflation and mortgage rates that happened in a short period of time, which is something that probably should have happened for the last seven years. So to say that our land use bylaw is the issue, I, I'll debate that any day. Uh, very interesting, timely, and uh, thank you for the update uh, from the weekend's happening, Sonia. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That is Award 1 Councillor Sonia Sharp. And, uh, you know, coming up, we're going to continue the conversation because it's fine to hear from those folks very much involved in the meetings, running the meetings, the city itself. But what about reaction from community partners and those who are looking for a glimmer of hope? And Chaz Smith, he's uh, an advocate, a homelessness advocate who's been on this show many times. In fact, throughout all the shows on this radio station, because he's the guy on the street working with those who are living rough. And why are they homeless? And he's sort of, you know, on those front lines. And he's going to come in and join us just after 8 and talk about it. He sent me a message on the weekend saying, hey, congratulations to to all of us for, you know, pushing forward and, and having Calgarians' voices heard to make something happen quickly. So he's pleased with this strategy. We'll get him to sort of break it down as to why he thinks it's important yeah. and put it in un- terms that are understandable to all of us of what they what they put forward. Yeah, the, the bonuses and, and what more needs to be done yeah. and what more can be done to ease this issue uh, sooner rather than later. Your thoughts sure. on it, whether you you know you, you read or kept up with any of it, homelessness as a whole, housing, the crisis in the city, you can always let us know on the text line 805 now, and here's a quote. We have created the most aggressive affordable housing strategy in our city's history, perhaps even in the country, and we may end up leading Canada as an example. That's a quote from a very excited Chaz Smith, president, CEO, and founder of Be The Change YYC, about the housing strategy that has been discussed with the City of Calgary and Council over the past few days. And we say good morning to you, Chaz. Thanks for coming in to talk about it this morning. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. So you spent three days plus listening to Council, sharing your perspective on our city's homelessness problem, just housing in general. What was your sort of takeaway over this process? So my takeaway over the process was that obviously this uh, comes out as one of the most aggressive housing strategies our city has ever seen. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, I'm happy to see that council took this very serious. Uh, Of course, we are in a housing crisis. And so we do need to act in a crisis level response. Government and uh, speed usually don't have these two in the same sentence. We know, and you know well, with the work you've done here tirelessly over the years when it comes to homelessness. And we do know about the crises of, you know, not who we consider homeless in the past having issues with homes. Uh, But a great plan that's going to be implemented over the next 18 months or 36 months, that does nothing as of September 2023. Are you excited with the, the speed? And will we see some relief sooner rather than later? You know, what was exciting, actually, is that when I was listening to this plan, and, and we know that, of course, building housing takes time, uh, we know that there's no immediate measures today to sort of slow down the pace of folks becoming homeless. Uh, Mayor Gondak herself uh, started the process by saying, you know, we have 100,000 Calgarians today that are at risk of becoming homeless. We have over 400 families right now that are homeless and have nowhere to call a home. So 
at the beginning of uh, day three, uh, they introduced a motion forward to actually use city-owned infrastructure to activate two family shelters to address this over 400 families that have no shelter access right now and nowhere to call home. So we did see that there was additional measures added to actually implement uh, some strategies uh, in the next uh, few months rather than the next few years as what we saw in the plan. Well, yeah, I mean, we know cold weather's coming up. We know people are suffering right now. So something has to be done in the immediate right now future. Um, so one shelter and then another one was added. So we've got two. That's great news. Yep. Um, what about, you know, homeless advocacy in terms of the people who are living rough out there? I know a lot of them choose to be that way, but there must be some that are looking for better options. Was that addressed for you? You know, I think right now what we're talking about is preventing homelessness and supporting the folks, the 100,000 that are currently at risk today. Uh, from this, the study that we saw, which of course the stats came from 2020, uh, Councillor Walcott made it very clear that taking stats from 2020, well, that was CERB. So if, mm. if the housing crisis showed that we had one in five Calgarians that were at risk of homelessness during 2020 in Serb, we know that this problem actually is much, much worse today than what the stats are indicating. Yeah, I spoke with, uh, we had the chance to speak with uh, Councillor Sonia Sharp, Ward mm -hmm. 1 Councillor Sonia Sharp, uh, last hour. And one of the things that it, it uh, stuck out to me was the fact that she said, yes, we had a great response from the community, listened to over 160 personal testimonies. With that number being 160, do you, do you think that finally the public perception and understanding of homelessness is being, you know, uh, addressed uh, with that kind of number, 160 plus people taking the time out of their day? Yeah, I think so, because we saw, you know, it was the first time in council where I think I saw that many young folks show up, you know, 18-year-olds, uh, young 20-year-olds. Then we had our older generations, middle-class folks that were lawyers, and, and you could truly see that regardless of your demographic or the income that you were making, that this housing crisis, this affordability crisis is definitely affecting your everyday life. Um, it was interesting to see that students uh, were terrified because they too were at risk of becoming homeless. We saw, uh, we heard stories from refugees, from immigrants who were told to come here because they could have a better life and that they've come here and that they have not found that better life because they can't afford to live here. Um, you know, no one uh, wakes up one day and says, I want to be homeless. They end up through circumstances becoming uh, unhoused and ending up in the cycle of homelessness, which we see play out in downtown Calgary. We see the, the crime, the social disorder that comes from that. Uh, and that is, you know, the mental health, that is the substance, the, the addiction that comes from self-medicating the trauma. And it, it just produces the uh, social disorder as a coping mechanism and a way to survive. And I think we're all recognizing that if we want a healthy, strong society, we cannot let, you know, young students, immigrants, refugees, our senior citizens that have worked their entire lives uh, fall into the cycle of homelessness that we have seen over decades continue in our city. I know you wanted to come on and kind of talk about the key components and sort of break it down so that people 
people can really understand. Is there more that you wanted to share? And and it was a lot, right? I mean, you can't get to it in 10 minutes, but there was a lot over three days. Or is there anything else that you thought was really important to talk about? Yeah, I think that there's a couple key points here to the housing strategy plan. Um, I just want to start off by saying, um, so we had a a corporate housing strategy in 2015 uh, for affordable housing. Uh, it It was a nice worded document, but this document brought to city council has actual stats and it has outcomes that are measurable. So I'll, I'll talk about some of those stats. So in 2015, for example, we said uh, there was a, a survey done in the city and it showed that um, affordable housing was actually Calgarians' second most important thing for 93% of Calgarians. Yeah, in 2015. Yeah, this document mm-hmm. said 93%. The first important thing, of course, was transit, second housing. So now we, we come here uh, to this plan and we see that affordable housing numbers that we're looking at per year is 3,000 units. And while we need probably tens of thousands of units yesterday, mm-hmm. 3,000 units per year every year is actually quite a bit when we have only been building something like 300 a year. So this wow. is almost 10 times the amount, but also some other strategies built within it to uh, s- uh, stimulate the housing market and prevent further homelessness. Um, so the key point I think that's important, of course, that those 3,000 units. Um, the second point is how do we create more units, make more housing available. So I'm sure you've heard about this R1, R2, this this zoning Zoning. uh, thing that's gone on. So let me break that down a little bit for you because I know this was like an overlying theme throughout. Uh, So what that means is right now, 60% of Calgary is zoned for only one single family home. So that means 60% of Calgary cannot have an apartment building on that land. They can't actually build the rental properties, the affordable housing that's required in 60% of the land. So this new rezoning that has been passed, so some would call it blanket zoning. So basically removing that type of zoning from all of Calgary. So now a property owner can actually do what they want with their property. It cuts that red tape so that folks are able to produce the housing that we truly need. Um, I know that the the counter side of that, of course, that was debated is that, well, how do we stop then, um, you know, folks from building, you know, these million dollar condos and, and units that we really wouldn't use on that land. And so I think this is where the city has to pay attention and have that oversight and continue to be part of that conversation mm-hmm. and the advocacy. Okay. Incredible. And, yeah, uh, there's a lot. It's a lot. Thank you. I mean, it, it's it's hard to break down in just yeah. a short amount of time, but I think you know the right step. It seems right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, prevent homelessness and yeah. uh, help all of us really. Yeah. In Even the if end. it doesn't affect us, it's the one thing that does affect. It's us, true. Affect us all. Thanks for your time, Chaz, and thanks for yeah. your reaction. We appreciate it. Thank you. This is Chaz Smith, President, CEO, and founder of Be the Change YYC. More online about the organization, BeTheChangeYYC.org. Seven seventeen on your Monday morning. It's one of the most talked about drugs in the world right now. Ozempic, 
the diabetes treatment, which also promotes weight loss. But how much do we know about the long-term effects of the drug and the process of coming off Ozempic once you've achieved your weight loss goal? To discuss, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Uh, let's get back and in, do in kind of a refresher. Uh, the drug very popular right now, Dr. J. Can you explain to us how a drug designed to treat diabetes can lead to weight loss? Well, there's a good question. So it's, it's interesting. The, the drug for diabetes or the concept of this has existed for quite some time. But when these drugs went injectable, that's when it changed the world. So these drugs basically trick the brain into believing we are full. So when we eat, uh, it's not just our stomach that tells us we're full. It's actually messages from stomach to brain and how much uh, insulin we make, how we process our food. So this drug essentially uh, helps with satiety. So when I eat, all the right things happen. It tells my brain I'm, I'm fuller much quicker, so I eat less. And if I overeat, I actually don't feel good. So it's essentially tricking me to, to eat a lot less so that less calorie in. In theory, my diabetes is better managed and my weight is better managed. Do we know much about the long-term effects of being on the drug? Now, I know quite a few people who are on it for weight loss, and I've heard a yeah. lot of short-term things, like from you know yeah. hair loss to just feeling sick to your stomach to you know just feeling really crappy in general. But are those all short-term? Do we know anything about long-term? Well, these drugs in, in their form right now have not been out for that long. So this is where we're all a little bit leery. I've been around long enough to see many things come and go, many things that, oh, my God, this is a, a game changer. It's going to change the world where we do see something down the road that it's, gee, that's not as good as we thought or even a darker side to it. Um, so the oral versions of this have been out a little bit longer. The injectable versions a little bit shorter. Um, the problem is with weight loss, it is a long-term play. It isn't something we can do for six months or a year, stop, and then everything is, is wonderful thereafter. Typically, in the world of obesity uh, management, weight management, this is a lifetime play, a long-term play. So we're either looking at these drugs to achieve a short-term goal and then do something different, or we're doing this drug is on forever. Uh, of which we don't have any data to support whether this is good, bad, or indifferent. We huh. really don't know. Huh. Here's a question for you. I come into your office and I say, you know, I want to drop some, some weight. I'm not at my healthy weight. Uh, would you uh, prescribe Ozempic to, to a patient? Or, or would this involve much more of an in-depth conversation? How does that work from a doctor's perspective? Oh, definitely an in-depth uh and how you know what is uh, the weight we talk about bmi and bmi is very controversial weight to height ratio but there's certain bmis that are very very high where uh we have to make some intervention and this could be a patient who's tried many many things over a lifetime and nothing has worked so you know we sometimes are looking at more extreme measures such as bariatric surgery uh medication such as this if somebody is just has a bmi that uh, cosmetically, I wish I could lose 10 pounds and, you know, give me this drug to lose 10 pounds. I, I think that's completely inappropriate use of, of drugs such as this. These are aggressive drugs that do a fair bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is what's happened right now. It's hit sort of social media. 
celebrities in the states everyone's taking it and so now it's become the uh, the flavor of the month in regards to losing 10 or 15 pounds so dr j if we don't know much about it and you know people losing or using it to lose weight don't want to stay on it forever it's expensive yeah. let's face it it's not covered if you're using it for weight loss so if somebody wanted to come off this drug how would you do it because i know you have to wean yourself on would you have to wean yourself off yes in theory um, it could be done either way, but weaning off uh, generally would be the wisest. The stats and the lead into this whole story, the stats are a year out from stopping. Um, most patients or the average patient has gained two-thirds of their weight back. Really? In one year. So that's not... Because we don't change, right? Well, that's the problem. And, and just, I told, you know, you've asked, how does this work? Well, guess what? If, if I take it away, all of a sudden my brain and my body is hungry again, wants to eat again, does not feel full when I eat the same amount. So it's very, very tricky to, to continue that lifestyle of eating a, a much more, like a smaller amount of calories, smaller plate, when my brain is telling me, guess what? I'm not full anymore, like it was telling me on the drug. So... So the stats are uh, that uh, you can lose about 15% of body weight overall, and that's actually that's a good stat. But if I stop a year later, two thirds of that is all back, and that's on average. So some people will gain their weight back or more. Some might hold it off for a little bit longer. So an average is, is a tricky figure to look at. But it's not like we're a year out and everyone's still at the same body weight, unfortunately. So this is very similar to many, many other things we've seen in the past, where as soon as you come off, you run into trouble. We had a text in uh, from a listener by the name of Derek that says, could you ask the doctor about the effects of muscle loss um, or the effects on cardio if you're on Ozempic? Do we know things about uh, those uh, side effects? Well, in theory, if you're if you're working out and maintaining a good exercise profile, there's no reason why you should lose muscle mass. They should be coming out of the fat stores because you are eating less. And uh, the way it works, that satiety center or the insulin reserve really should be quite favorable to to uh, staying strong, staying healthy. Uh, if you work out <laughs> again, if you're sitting on your couch. Uh, doing nothing and expecting just to lose weight and stay fit. It's not going to work for that. Do you think, Dr. J, in your opinion, with what you know and what you've seen and heard already, like, do you think there are going to be some long-term effects, side effects? I mean, we've heard about kidney and other issues like that. Do, do you think this might be a negative thing for a lot of people who are using it simply as the ultimate way to lose weight? Uh, to lose yeah. weight? I think it will find its place within the diabetic world, um, this whole class of drugs is incredibly useful uh, and can be really, really helpful to help with diabetic management. 